you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Prairie Justice presents the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Justice and our mega sode of Leading Comics number five, our seven part tale of the miracles that money couldn't buy, the story of the skull and his mission to buy, beg, borrow, or steal the things that will make him more powerful. A common theme in today's world. Our story. Uh, like I said, in Leading Comics number 5, which uh, published in December of 1942 and was on stands at least until uh, late February of 1943, making it a quarterly. And it was uh, published uh, by DC Comics at 10 cents for uh, something like uh, 60 odd pages, uh, most of that being story and a few ads and some editorial work which I were not going to cover. It was drawn by Ed Dabrotka and written by nobody that we know of. Of course it was written by someone but we do not know the name of that identity. We've covered that ad nauseum. And uh, as we said we have been through six uh, chapters, five individual chapters of the the heroes or teams that make up our soldiers of victory and we're breaking up our formula a little bit here um, with how and um, the, uh, the plot is, is found out. Sometimes the skull appears along with the villains who he's using as for soldiers and sometimes he does not. And um, we're going to have a nice pleasant surprise about how many soldiers of victory we're to have in that final chapter. And I think some of you will probably know who I'm uh, identifying at that point as to the difference between the numbers eight and the number seven. So with that folks, uh, no sense holding this up any further. Here we are with the concluding five pages of the miracles that money couldn't buy. And now the conclusion of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. The miracles that money couldn't buy. Showdown with the skull. We briefly meet after the end of Chapter 6 as Green Arrow and Speedy recount their battle with Porky Johnson. The man who helped Porky escape is the skull, the possessor of vast wealth. Here is his address, Speedy. Porky shipped him a machine he stole from a Dr. Boggs. We better find out what kind of machine it was, Green Arrow. Thus, 
shortly afterward at the laboratory of Dr. Boggs. The possessor of that machine will never grow old, Green Arrow. He will live to have his evil way for centuries. Time we got the Legionnaires together, Speedy. The skull may be a hard nut to crack. An urgent message is flashed to the soldiers of victory, but within an abandoned railroad car, a helpless warrior, the vigilante, bound to a death trap along with bystander Roscoe Meek, watch their doom approach. It looks like the end for you, vigilante, and then I'll die of starvation after you're dead. All because I wanted to be a hero. Don't give up so soon, partner. I think I see a way out, but I may have to break my head to find it. By throwing my weight backward, friend, I'll be able to tip this chair over. Better hurry, vigilante. That trigger is tightening. Just in time, vigilante. Well, that bullet skimmed my hair, but my head's in one piece and the chair isn't. Well, this rope will give way in a few seconds, and then I'm going to go after that sidewinder that calls himself the Skull. But he's gone, vigilante. You don't know where to find him. While the warrior of the plains seeks to pick up the Skull's trail once more, he receives a message summoning him to a meeting of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. The Skull thinks that his wealth will protect him. We've got to show him that the possession of money doesn't allow a man to break the law. Right, Avenger. And besides, I've got a score to settle with that skunk Slade. While in his luxurious castle, the Skull gloats over his most prized possession. Johnson himself got killed, but before he died, he sent me this machine that will grant eternal life. All I have to do is step in that violent beam for a few moments and I will be young again. Ah, there is nothing a young man with vast wealth cannot do. Suddenly, the noise of fierce combat reaches the Skull's ears. Ah, my men are out there, fighting to protect me. I need do nothing myself, for I can get others to fight, like my friend Hitler. Perhaps someday I too shall be a dictator. Outside the castle, the seven legionnaires advance in the face of death. Stripesy will take the plane on the right. The knight can handle the other one. By my halidom, these giant wasp-like machines are troublesome, I shall have to remove their stings. The star rocket racer swoops down upon the enemy plane. I think we'll rest for a minute, kid. Hey, our plane can't stand that extra weight of... While the shining knight, slashing with his magic sword, downs another... Now the heavens shall be free of such verminous creatures. Hey, bail out everybody! We're going to crash! And soon the enemy aircraft are replaced by only parachutes. Well, we'd better land now, partners. We can't fly into the Skull's Palace. Victory can fly wherever there is air. Onward, my friends! As the Legionnaires land, an ironclad, fire-spitting monster comes into view. Uh-oh. We didn't count on this. That tank is too tough even for your fists, Avenger. This is not the first fire-breathing dragon I have slain. Merlin's sword is death to all evil. We 
better duck. Feels like we got hit by an anti-tank shell. But ahead of the gallant crime fighters, danger looms ominously. Looks like a job for me and Speedy this time. We'll each take a gun, Green Arrow. Two slender shafts speed through the air straight for their moving targets. Hey, the arrow won't let the cartridge belt move. The gun is jammed. I reckon fix that. Pull the arrow out. Hey, what? Get away from that cartridge belt or I'll pin your ears back. As the seven soldiers of victory near the Skull's castle, hidden snipers take up the battle. The minute those birds show themselves, I'll pick them off. They can't get at me here. This looks like a chance, Mr. Crimson. You're right, Wing. Here goes one of my Crimson capsules. Hey, I can't see. Nice work, partner. Now I can toss my lariat and hit that rocky spur up on the cliff. I'll take the first one, Avenger. There's another one further up that you can have. All right with me, Vigilante, so long as you don't knock them both out. How do you like this for sharpshooting, you varmint? Ah! While further up the cliff... Just practicing, boys. I'm banging a couple of skulls together oh. now so that I'll know how to handle Ow. the chief skull later. At the entrance to the skull's palace itself. Methinks this weapon's status too much. I am cutting short its painful speech. Come on, Stripesy. We need a little strong arm stuff. It's no fun, kid. These fellows have weak jaws. <coughs> Suddenly, Bronco Slade. I hoped I'd find that rattler again. So you got away last time, Vigilante. Won't get away now. You're a little slower on the trigger there, Slade. Watch out. Ugh. He's dead. That bullet from the other side winder got him in the heart. Poetic justice, Vigilante. He was condemned to be shot, and he couldn't escape his fate. Unhampered now, the crime-busting legionnaires rush forward to the lair of the skull. There he is, trying to become young again. He's dead. I wonder what killed him. I saw the skull before, partners. And he wasn't this old. By my sword, friends. This man has died of old age. Later. Gentlemen, the skull died because he did not know how to operate this machine properly. It's set to produce youth and animals. But unless the wavelength is changed, it will produce old age in a human. This wavelength was not changed. The Skull feared death of old age more than anything else, and he found it while trying to avoid it. Yes, again, the Legionnaires have shown that no man, though he possessed the wealth of Midas, is above the laws of man and nature. Partners, we've seen justice done to another Sidewinder. No matter how many rattles he's got to his tail, if he strikes it, a decent man will stamp him out. Destruction to all varmints. And we're the ones that will see that it's done, Vigilante. Once more, the seven soldiers of victory pursue their separate ways. Unaware that soon, another sinister plan of evil 
will bring them together again to undergo more thrills and perils in the next exciting issue of Leading Comics. So now a few notes here on the closing. On uh, conclusion of the miracles that money couldn't buy, once again in our Seven Soldiers formula, we have had five chapters after a about a seven-page beginning, and now we're wrapping it all up in a five-page conclusion, which just very, to me, as I've editorialized before, seems really rather unfortunate that we're... Uh, We've thrown a lot of strings on the ground, and now we're tying it all up in just five pages. Now, in the old nine-panel-per-page format, which is more or less, it, it's set out as a nine-page grid. Sometimes you have less, sometimes you have more, but that's the format. But boy, oh boy, you get a lot of word balloons and a lot of uh, narrator boxes that I think uh, you know, effective as the art is, I just think it's a very, very crowded hour when we do this. Having said that, uh, there's a lot happening in this five-page conclusion, and I think the writer and the artist have paced it a lot better than has been done in the past. Uh, once again, we have no fanfare to tell you that we're going into the conclusion. We have gone straight from the last story which was Green Arrow and Speedy defeating Porky and then finding out that there's a machine that uh, the Skull has gotten a hold of. In fact, Porky mailed it. Yes, the U.S. Post Office delivered a death machine to the Skull. Uh, this is why I love the Golden Age. Um, why not? It's just so practical. And it's important to note that this is the one acquisition that the Skull is getting. He hasn't gotten his horse, he hasn't gotten his diamond, he hasn't gotten his spacecraft, and all of anything else that he was after. So it's down to the revitalization rate of Professor Boggs, who we meet again as Green Arrow and Speedy uh, run into him in his laboratory, complete with beakers and Bunsen burners, because that's what a laboratory looks like in comics, okay? And uh, Boggs lets Green Arrow and Speedy know what this uh, machine is all about and how the Skull could probably use it for his own evil ways. And wait, do you notice in our five chapters, though some time has passed, we have still left Vigilante and good old Roscoe Meek in their death trap. To reiterate, the death trap is in a railroad car with one of those uh, punch timers uh, hooked to a gun. And the rifle is pointed right at Vigilante, who is tied to a wooden chair. And uh, his sidekick du jour, Roscoe Meek, is off to the side. Uh, basically whining about how this is going to kill Vigilante and I'm going to be here to witness it, blah, blah, blah. Well, does Vigilante get out of it with his spurs? Sorry, Dave McIlvaney. He actually gets out of it just by making his chair fall over. And as the clock gets toward the uh, 
the deadly zero. Vigilante manages to just break his chair on the floor. And uh, I have to say that even though that uh, he has just missed the deadly shot that probably would have split his skull, this has still got to hurt. Oh my gosh. Have you ever fallen off of a chair? Have you ever had a chair go backwards? I have. I can't imagine what it feels like when you're tied to a wooden chair and it breaks. But I guess it's better than that, than that splitting Excedrin headache number one that Greg Saunders was going to get. Always a cool character. Vidge manages to wriggle free from his ropes. And this is the last time we're going to see Roscoe. So goodbye, Roscoe. Thank you for uh, coming around and being our sidekick du jour. So, as usual, our soldiers come together at a certain place. Um, I believe that we are probably... I don't even know where we're at. It doesn't tell you. We just have a meeting of the seven soldiers. I would assume it's at Dr. Boggs' laboratory. Doesn't matter, because when we turn the page, we're at World Headquarters of the Skull. Mr. Orange Face himself has decided to turn that uh, revitalization ray around and use it on himself to try to, I guess, turn back whatever process has turned his skin orange and basically has caused his, uh, himself to, to turn into a skeleton. Because there's nothing a man with vast wealth cannot do. And this is where also where the skull decides to drop the dime and we find out that he has a friend named Hitler. And once he's gone through this vitalization ray, he too shall be a dictator. Well, uh, suddenly this story has taken another turn. What is the skull going to do if this ray works? Is he going to take over the United States and join the Axis? Well, while we have that question teeming to ourselves, we are into Seven Soldiers action. And this is where our crowding really takes place. All of the soldiers really get a chance to shine here. And that's not a pun, Sir Justin. Well, yes, of course it's a pun. This is, this is prayer to justice. Everything's a pun. We see uh, Stripesy going in and piloting the Star Rocket Racer, fighting against the... Uh, well, fighter aircraft of the Skull's minions. And we're going to get just balls-to-the-wall action as the seven soldiers basically hallway we fight their way through all of the Skull's henchmen. So in amongst the dogfight, the Star Rocket Racer just lands right on top of the, one of these fighters, puts them out of commission. And, of course, Sir Justin, uh, while the other soldiers are riding in the, uh, in the racer, Sir Justin, of course, and Winged Victory are taking it to their own hands, and I'll tell you, uh, that's, that sword is slinging, it's cutting off wings, it's cutting off propellers, and in true Cobra fashion, we see nothing but parachutes coming out of the, uh, the Skull's airplanes. So we land the Star Rocket Racer, and next thing that comes along is a tank. And, of course, we're in World War II here, so a tank is, uh, everybody knows what a tank is, so there's good uh, identification with that. All of the soldiers try to rush the tank, but only Sir Justin himself has the wherewithal to slash that tank right down the middle. I mean, it's Justin the Barbarian Hour here. 
So are the other soldiers going to get anything to do? Well, Green Arrow and Speedy, um, they go up against uh, one of those, uh, looks to me to be about a 30 to 50 caliber machine gun uh, being operated by the gangsters, one of the belt feeds. And Green Arrow and Speedy throw a couple of arrows right up the barrel of that, uh, manage to make it jam. As the goons go to unjam that, they both get arrows in their wrists and fingers. Well, out comes a small army of hidden snipers, one of whom seems to be smoking a clay pipe while he's sniping away. This brings the Crimson Avenger and Wing and their gimmicks and what they do. Wait a minute, what did I just say? Did I say Crim Crimson Avenger and Wing? Hey, I've been lying to you. This isn't the seven soldiers, this is the eight soldiers. Yes, folks, this is the first time that Wing gets in on the kill. And it, uh, by that I mean the final chapter of a seven soldier story, which is now inaccurate because Wing is here. Count them, eight, eight soldiers. So Crimson and Wing throw their tear gas grenades because uh, that's one of his gimmicks is a red gas that they use, which he used to fire out of a gun and now appears to be just a, a grenade. So since we're back into showcasing, out comes Vigilante. Uh, he's going to go up and uh, try to take out one of these snipers as well. Is he going to draw his six guns? Of course not. I can't remember the last time he drew a six gun. He uses his lariat and his spurs. There we are, Dave. We're back. Uh, to climb this little uh, rocky ledge and just basically do a one punch with the gangster. Back to the Crimson Avenger and Wing. More punchy, punchy. Star Spangled Kid and Stripes are out of the racer by now. More punchy, punchy. And we seem to be, at this point in time, approaching a very fortress-like building with castles and turrets. And as Vidge comes around the corner, well, who does he run into but the one skull foot soldier that we have left alive, well, the last of his lieutenants. And that, of course, is Bronco Jack Slade. Well, we're into a session here where fists are flying, bullets are flying. And when I first turned the corner on this page, it almost looked to me like Vigilante was outright Frank Castling, uh, Bronco Slade because he falls over dead but in fact uh, what has happened is just one of the snipers or one of the machine gunners has ricocheted and hit Slade into an accidental uh, wound and that knocks him on his feet and that's the last of, of the skull agents and it appears to me that Bronco has a particularly odd garb on him at this point in time brown pants a gun belt a yellow shirt a brown hat and a green kerchief why does that make any difference stay close to the end folks because we're not far away and we'll talk about why i consider that significant well right now with slade's death that's the last of the hallway fight, and we are into the mansion. The seven, <clears throat> I mean eight soldiers trundle into the skull study, 
we find the revitalization ray, which I hope you turned over to the authorities, soldiers. Or maybe you shouldn't. I don't know. The skull is sitting there dead. Right in front of the revitalization ray where we last saw him. Well, um, along comes Professor Boggs, who was brought in to take a look at the machine and find out that improper settings have not been made. For the man of his age and size, apparently this, this machine needs some adjustments, and the skull, having not done that, has more or less killed himself. And I think the text said it best, that no man, though he possessed the wealth of Midas, is above the laws of man and nature. Certainly not a very wealthy man with an orange pallor. And I am not trying to make any modern day comparisons at all. Am I, folks? All I'm saying, this is a very wealthy man who thought he, whose hubris was such that he thought he could take over the world and that he wasn't paying any attention to his own age or the fact that he was orange in complexion. Nope, not saying anything about that at all. Happy election, folks. So what kind of a coda do we possibly have about this Bronco Slade? A one-off character who only appears in this story never seen again. Or has he been? Now, the name of Slade is very, very interesting because that harkens back into some very deep Western history. And I'm just going to read from the Britannica Encyclopedia about Jack Slade. Born 1824, Carlisle, Illinois, United States. Died March 10th, 1864 in Virginia City, Montana. A gunfighter and murderer of the American West. So we kind of see at... Uh, that the name is very deep into the culture. So whoever this writer was, perhaps uh, maybe had read a few dime novels and such and heard this name. Born in Illinois, Slade ran away while still a boy and became a cowboy in the Southwest, serving in the Army in the Mexican War of 1848. Later, he gained a reputation as a vicious gunman when in 1859 in Cold Springs, Colorado, during a drunken bout, he had an old enemy, Jules Bain, tied to a stake and used him for target practice kill and killing him. Isn't that kind of what he did to Vigilante? What Bronco did to Vigilante here? Later in Fort Halleck, Colorado, he was indicted on another charge of assault and fled north to Virginia City, Montana in 1861. There he gained such notoriety for drunkenness, brawling, menacing, gunplay, and shooting that local vigilantes dragged him from a saloon in 1864 and hanged him. Remember I said local vigilantes. Is that a name that's ever been used in this podcast? I'm not sure. Well, anyway, that's the story of Jack Slade of the Old West. There's actually a very good book about him. Um, if anybody is further interested, drop me a line and I'll let you know about it. I don't have that information right in front of me right now. So that could be an ancestor to Bronco Slade. But what about his descendants? Well, let's shoot ahead to roughly about, I want to say 1971. Do you remember what I said that uh, Bronco Slade was wearing 
In his final appearance in that panel, as he is laid dead prostrate, brown pants, yellow shirt, brown hat, green neckerchief. Does anybody else know of a character that would have appeared as a Western-type character around 1971? Oh, could it have been in another recast Old West outlaw by the name of Toby Manning? who Bronze Age fans of Superman will remember as, yes, Terror Man. Yeah, it's the exact same colorization right down to the mustache. So, did Denny or Neil or Kurt Swan, or I guess it would have been Neil Adams was in on this as well, see this panel and thought that's a strange coloring for a cowboy and say, Hey, that's what we can put on to our cosmic cowboy who is going to plague Superman all through the 1970s and early 1980s. Maybe you're not laughing at Terra Man so much, are you now? But about that same point in time, and I'm thinking this comes from 71 or 72. I know I remember seeing it as a very small kid, and I would laugh at it, and I, whenever this would uh, see that, know that this was coming on television... I would uh, certainly plop myself down. A humorous Western television movie called Evil Roy Slade. Star John Astin as a basically a gunfighter all dressed in black. And it was known as a comedy Western. It's available on YouTube, folks. So go ahead and look for it. In the meantime... I'll give you a little bit of a taste of what the beginning of Evil Roy Slade sounded like. You know, many legends have come out of the Old West. Some true, some false, and some just plain cockamamie. Like the famous tale of a stagecoach that was burned to the ground by Apaches. And the only survivor was a tiny infant and his little teddy bear. Now, many times, Indians have found little babies and brought them up as their own. And then there are stories of wolves finding a child and raising it in the wolf pack. But nobody wanted this baby. Nobody loved him. So this little baby grew up loving nobody and he became the meanest man in the whole west evil roy slade evil roy slade would howl at the darkness scary so bad he'd cause day to break and evil Children, just 
And there you have it, folks. More than you ever need to know about the genealogy of the one-time villain known as Bronco Slade. And that's the end of our story, folks. And now with our final bit of feedback on our Leading Comics number 4 coverage of the, Sen the Senses Master story that we covered, oh, spring of 2023, I want to say. Uh, our... Feedback is once again from Mr. Dave McIlvaney. Greetings, Ranger Gord. I must agree with your assessment that this story's concluding chapter felt rushed and I think it deserved better. The individual soldiers' chapters were pretty well done, but things just happened very quickly at the end, without enough time or space devoted to the final victory. But I guess we can't fix a story that's 80 years old. I was surprised by the identity of the Sense Master, which I enjoyed. I love it when a story can surprise me. Of course, when he described the African expedition and the removal of the jewels and idol, I couldn't help but think of the podcast, Stuff the British Stole. Not that the U.S. hasn't done the same thing, even within our own borders. Uh, maybe I'll speak to that later. It was good to see Vigilante take a prominent role in this final chapter, particularly throwing the life stone into the river, but I hope someone either retrieves it for safekeeping or at least puts up a sign that, at that place in the river warning people not to throw, say, statues of wild animals or demons into the water. Finally, you surprised me with the 2016 remake version of the Magnificent Seven theme, which I enjoyed, but I missed the cast from Cheers. Uh, thanks for this megasode, which must have been a good bit of work for you. You should be proud of it. Live long and prosper, Dave McElpady. Well, thanks for your always kind words, Dave, and your wonderful insight. Yeah, the idea of, uh, in the story, there were uh, artifacts uh, stolen by the uh, the character who would become the Sense Master uh, as part of a expeditions that used to be done uh, into other countries and this is still a problem here we uh, in Canada we face the idea of native of course repatriation of objects that have come into museum collections uh, I myself uh, am in charge of a number of those that I actually have come to the museum on a legal basis uh, none of them were actually stolen uh, we do have, that's why it's very important to do record keeping. Uh, sometimes things just belong in the ground where they need to be. Or if they are going to be shown in a museum, Indiana Jones style, it shouldn't just be raided. It should be a collective or a mutual agreement. And that's why 
Um, the spirits of intents and things like the, the documentation when something does come into a museum collection is very important. And uh, I think I'm crossing over my podcasting hobby here with my my actual museum career. So thank you, Dave, once again. And yes, uh, these conclusions can be better done. Uh, they are rushed, and I think you'll find we're going to have the same comment here on Leading Comics number five. So I I hope that uh, you know in future Leading Comics here we get a chance to at least flesh out some of these stories earlier if they're not going to spend much time tying them together. Thank you, Dave. With that, folks, we come to the end of our Megasode and the uh, sad tale of the scroll. And so we just leave uh, Trail off here, uh, come back to Prairie Justice at some point, and let's leave the skull with a tune for himself and other orange-hued fiends who take to tanning machines far too much. Bye, everybody. and money.